going? It's good. Good. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to... It's not an allegory. Because it's not an allegory. It's life. That's right. We are so excited for today. Today, like we said on our last podcast, we were talking about compassion and empathy and sympathy. And I feel like this is something we talk about a lot. It really is. <laughs> I think it's come up in every single one of our conversations. For, like, Or not, maybe not every single one, but at least like once a day. And then it comes up in class every once in a while and you turn around and give me a look of, bam, and I have to pay attention. <laughs> That's true. I do that a lot. Uh, it's because it's hilarious and I'm hilarious. So, but first. The coffee. Coffee. Because we are drinking a morning coffee. It is 9.30. Erin made the coffee this morning. Mm-hmm. And so the clear thing to ask here is, what are we drinking, Erin? Okay. So this is a Kingbird blend. It is a medium dark roast from one Mr. Travis Johnston. <laughs> Not a sponsor yet, but <laughs> he is the Kingbird blend is a mixture between, I think, his Brazil and his Costa Rica. Blend. I love his Costa Rica or his Cos- Brazil. I get his yeah. Brazil all the time. The, it's so good. And then this one, so it's it's um really nice nutty flavor. I like it because it's really it's really strong. Like I don't need a lot of beans for it. And as a broke college student, I'm always down to have to use less beans to get the same sure. amount of good coffee. Uh, but I won't compromise strong coffee. I will mm-hmm. always make strong coffee, and I will drink way too much of it. But that yeah. is like. I save up so that I can drink good coffee. I'm not that responsible. I, I feel like I'm at the point where well, it's a need and I drink it. You're just a youngin, though, so you'll get it there I'm eventually. Just a I'm like three years younger. And when you, when you reach my age, you'll uh, you need the coffee to actually like take care of all the people you're taking care of. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um. So why did you choose this blend? Uh. I had been trying out, actually, I can't, <laughs> it's funny, because I was thinking I'm going to try several of Travis's blends mm-hmm. and just pick the one I like best. And this was the second one I tried. <laughs> and I was like, this is amazing. I don't want to, not necessarily ruin it, because it's not like Travis mm-hmm. makes a bad blend, but I was like, this is one I really like. Mm-hmm. And I love the tones in it. It's like, it smells so good. It does. It smells like happiness whenever I lift it. Right. Up. It's just like, it's such a warm tone to it. For you non-coffee snobs, you're just like, wow, these people have problems. And you would be right. Yeah, you're not but, wrong. But yeah, this was the second one I tried. I was like, you know what? We're just going to stay here and we're just going to enjoy it. So this is the, it's, I think I've bought three pounds from him now, like over the past mm-hmm. few weeks. So I've been drinking it for a while for most of the semester. It's good. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. I support. At this point, I can just text Travis Kingbird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got it. It's like sweet. So yeah, he, we 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 have a system of getting good coffee. And oh, put both hands around a ceramic mug, and you can smell the lovely coffee. It's just this is this is what mornings are all about. This is coming from someone who's not a morning person. We no. will add. So the Whoa. fact that Aaron's this happy this early in the morning with her cup of coffee is pretty phenomenal. I will, okay, I like mornings. I really do. I just don't like having to do things right away in the morning. Mm. So at home, I like getting up before 8. Like, I don't know, it's not early, early, but like at a decent hour, like 7.30 or something. And I like going downstairs, putting on the coffee, making a decent breakfast, reading my Bible. Like, I don't have to talk. I don't have to do anything. It's mo- You know what it is? It's just people in the mornings. I just don't like people in the mornings. <laughs> 
I can see how that would be a thing. Yeah, that's the pro- that's the problem. But I come, I, I'm here, and of course, I love everyone here. Everyone here is great. Just not in the morning. Just not in the morning. Not when I'm first up and just. I can agree with that. Yeah, it's like I get up, I I put on, I brush my teeth, I put on clothes, and then I am immediately going to the dining hall for breakfast, mm-hmm. and there's thirty plus people there. That's just too much. Nothing's worse than like waking up, just getting, just starting to figure out that you actually have to be a functional human, and then having people ask you, "Hi, how's it going? How's your day going?" I've been, my day's been going for five minutes. Give it a rest. Oh, yep. anyway, yep. <laughs> we're not morning people, <laughs> no, we're not. and yet, but I mean, it's nine thirty. That's true. So we've had some time to wake up here, mm-hmm. which is quite good. So, I'm gonna ask you a random question about a book. And I'm excited to hear your answer about this. Oh, I for- yes. Okay. Moving away from coffee here into uh-huh. books. What's the weirdest book that you've enjoyed? The weirdest book that I've enjoyed? Um, man. I... I think it might be a Ted Decker book. I'm not going to lie to you. Wow. We'll only talk about the same four authors yeah. here, just so you okay, know. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'll start with my Ted Decker books. Because it was... And I didn't enjoy it in the... I actually didn't enjoy it in the end. Um, it was the Circle series. Oh, yeah. Um, I loved it because it was just so weird. And it was going back and forth. And I read all his books. And Ted Decker puts strings through all his books. Like, I was reading the... Showdown Sinner and Saint books, and then that had strings to the circle. Then I read The Lost books, and that had strings to the circle. And I read House, and I read Skin, and I read Water Walker, and these were all connected to the circle. But I feel like, and that concept to me was just so wild because he probably has like 40 books that are all tied together. Mm. It just, and you don't notice right away, and then suddenly they're all connected, and it's amazing. Um, just because I, I like that he created a world. Um, so that's probably, and then the concept of the circle was always really weird to me because, um, without spoiling it, by the time you read it, if you read it, you, it's theoretically, you can read it, start in any book and end in any book in the four. Because it's a circle. Because it's a circle and it goes in a circle. But I started with green, which is book zero, and it was so disappointing because that's kind of where the reset is, is in green. And so I read it, and it was super good until the last chapter. And then it was the reset. So I knew, regardless of where I went in the book... You would always come back to that. I was going to always come back to that. And it wasn't a good ending. It was a very heartbreaking ending. It could have been good, but it was just dissatisfying. It was, it was so dissatisfying um, so that's probably the most weird book that, for the most part, I enjoyed. Um, other than that, I, I don't know. I read a lot of, that was most of what I read growing up. Um, I think I read biographies I liked. I read, <laughs> I read a lot of pap- propaganda books that I liked. Um, or maybe I didn't like, but I found them valuable to read. I'm just, I read, I don't know, I'm trying to think, none of them were really memorable if they didn't fit in my genre, which 
It's kind of sad. It's sad. But I mean, we've read a lot of books. We've read a lot of books. I don't remember most so, of the books I've read. Yeah, I don't know. I think the Ted Decker ones are probably the weirdest, and then maybe I don't know. I read some weird, like, just unpublished books on the internet when I was young and bored and read everything on my shelf. So none of them were good, though. Mm. Not a single one. Oh, I have a book for you. Oh yeah. This is the weirdest book I've enjoyed. It's short, like 100 pages. I cruised through it in an hour okay. and a bit. It's H.G. Wells. <gasps> yes, I'll enjoy it. Yes, you will. It's called The Croquet Player. Perfect. I cannot fathom why it's called The Croquet Player. Nothing in that book indicates anything along the lines of a croquet player. But you're getting into, like, I don't even Wow, oh, When was Wells alive? Because I'm... Mm, Drawing a blank on what era this is, it's not the modern, not quite modern. It's it would be getting close to a hundred years ago, um, but it's it's this guy who moves to a small town, and there's this weird magic thing going on, and mm. no one quite knows what to do. The priest doesn't know what to do, yes. and eventually he like he can't sleep at night, and this just this town is just descending into madness, and. I want then it. he goes back to the city, and someone's just like, what did you learn? And he's just like, it basically ends, I can't tell you because I can trust no one. Kind of, is that... Okay, I basic. want that book. It was so weird. I, like, the reason I cruised through it is because I couldn't put it down, because I was just like, there's no way this could make any sense. I need to know how this can make sense. And I got to the end of the book, and I was like, still makes no sense. But I loved it. It can was I, so well written. Can I written. change my answer? Yeah. Um, okay, I don't know, I don't know how weird it is, I guess, and I don't know if it'll shock anybody, but I love reading Edgar Allan Poe. That surprises sh- sh- absolutely no one. Yeah, it's poetry, it's dark, it's messed yeah, up. Yeah. I loved the Telltale love Heart mm. growing up, and there was one, I was I given a collection of, cl- it was called the Collection of Classic Horror Books. It was just Edgar Allan Poe. Um, they could have just called it Edgar Allan Poe Collection and not concerned my mother, but here we are. And I can't remember what the story was called. It was just a short story. Yeah. And but it, it's Poe, so it was yeah, we Poe. It was weird. Um, but basically, it was about I can't remember what it was exactly because it feels like it wasn't real when I read it. And <laughs> I feel like that every time I finish a Poe poem or, or short story. All I remember about it is there's this horse. With, like, bright red eyes and, a, like, a cloaked rider. And he basically lit everything on fire. and that sounds epic. It was, like, seven pages long. I read it, and I was just like, what? What did I... What did I just experience? Is this an actual thing? It was just so weird to me. And I loved it. And then also, Animal Farm in 1984, man. Oh. I loved those yes. books. Yes. So much. Yes, I do love I, those books. 1984 was a time for me because I just read it this summer. Um, and this summer's been wild, obviously. There was a lot that happened this summer yep. just with the world. Let's throw climate. Orwell on top so, of that. <laughs> yes, I just I read Orwell at the same time and I was just like, huh, huh. fascinating. See, I picked up Dickens over the summer. That was probably more edifying in every sense Just of the term. Just slightly. I mean, you get the classic trope of tortured waif. Fair enough. And, like, misery and sadness. And it's like, 
Dickens, who hurt you? I mean, he had such a sad life. He but he wrote some beautiful stuff. I'm, I'm trying to work through Little Dorian, which isn't the tortured waif trope. And I'm loving it, but I have no time to read it oh, at the moment. Fair. I'm trying to read the Iliad. Mm. I think I'm about 40 pages in. That is ambitious. That is an ambitious read. I have the Iliad and the Odyssey in my room. I'm so Ooh. excited to read them. I wanted to buy them over the summer, and then I was given them as a gift. And so I'm excited to read them, and yeah. I might read Dante's Inferno over Christmas break. Mm. My sister owns it. I asked I really for that for Christmas. That. If I get that one, or if I get, um, what's the other one I asked for? I asked for like 30 books. Just like, mm-hmm. I, I only, I don't care which one you get. I know I'm only probably going to get one, but if I get one of them, happy. Oh, yeah. Happy definitely. Is. Definitely. So, I, my question for you regarding books is, what is a book that per- changed your perspective on something? I would have to say, uh, C.S. Lewis, so... Mm. Everyone can roll their eyes and pretend they're shocked. You know, as we talk about the same four authors. Yeah, same four authors here, guys. We, we <laughs> can't leave them. Uh, the Space Trilogy, which mm-hmm. is one that most people don't know of with Lewis. Uh, I know that's not one book. Uh, actually, I know about it because Silent Planet. Silent Planet is, Out of the Silent Planet is great, and Silent Planet is a great band. I highly recommend. But um, the third book in the trilogy is called That Hideous Strength. Hmm. Oh, great buzzer. And there was no way for me to explain that book without sounding like a crazy person. Like, and it really changed my perspective mostly on things of, like, myth and legend and fairy Mm -hmm. tales and even aliens, which now everyone's like, Aaron, we thought you were crazy before. We know you're crazy now. Okay, let me explain myself. So, with aliens... Obviously, if it's called Space Trilogy, they go into space. Mm-hmm. Hideous Strength does take place on Earth, but it does still happen. Aaron, should I call cultish and tell them that you're joining a cult? I'm starting a cult is oh, what you should tell okay. them. Okay. Kidding. No, I'm not starting a cult. That's just, please don't take me out of context. Um, but, okay, that Hideous Strength, one of the characters goes on a rant about, um, like, Merlin has showed up in the book. Mm-hmm. That's the closest I'll get... I guess I can't spoil that book because none of it makes any sense. You have to read it in order to understand any of it. But Merlin shows up and this one guy is just trying to figure out like, okay, dragons and elves and all these things. Like there was more room for them a long time ago. And with every decision that was made, it narrowed the the frame. It mm-hmm. narrowed the frame until we come to a point. Mm-hmm. And he, he didn't know what the point was. Like this mm-hmm. is like, if you imagine the beginning of time, you had these two spaces very, very far apart. And within that space, there was room for there to be dragons and elves and monsters and all these things that we just have myths about. Which dragons, I'm... I believe that I think there are dragons. possible. How does every culture have some sort of depiction of a dragon yeah. if there were no dragons? Exactly. Anyways, that aside. Um, and then as every decision, every little decision, but over time it narrows and narrows and narrows. There's no more room for them until... You got to a certain point and there just wasn't room for mm-hmm. them. And it keeps getting narrower and narrower until the only thing left is for Jesus to return. Because it all come to a, it'll come to a head, come to Forms a point. Forms a chiasm. It does. It that's does. That's kind of neat. Yeah, it's kind of neat. And, like, I don't know if that's true. 
I can't know if that's true, but it really made me think of like, okay, do I just pretend, do I just write things off to make myself sound smart? Like, no, there can't be any such thing as aliens. Well, how do you know? Oh, well, and, and this is a good argument, and it's a valid argument, mm -hmm. the argument of, well, we can't witness to aliens, and they would suffer under the fall, and thus God would be unjust to punish alien life forms because they can't know about Jesus, because Jesus came to Earth. Mm -hmm. Lewis does address that in the Space Trilogy, mm -hmm. because he really plays on the general revelation thing of, like, okay, if the heavens declare... Mm -hmm. His glory and the work, the work of his hands proclaim his name. Mm -hmm. Then in space, they have that concept. And you could use that same argument of like, oh, God would be unjust. Mm -hmm. There's tribes of, and people groups that are completely untouched by civilized world. I civilized mm -hmm. in air quotes. Um, but, and, okay, would God be unjust if, if he sent them to hell because mm -hmm. they don't know who Jesus is? Well, but then there's people who are contacting these tribes and finding out they've had dreams and visions of Jesus and they saw the stars in the heaven and they deduced the logical conclusion is there must be a God and he must love me. Because that's what creation screams all the mm -hmm. time. And honestly, I think that a tribal community is probably more likely to hear something like that mm -hmm. than in an urban community because they have the peace and quiet and the stillness of mind to take a moment and just appreciate it. But in an urban community, there's always something going on. There's always noise. All this noise going on. And I think noise is... This is going to sound really extreme. Noise is straight from hell. I think hell is never silent. Ever. And of course, there's a danger in some silence of like... I don't know. There's the trying to empty your mind. That's a very new age mm -hmm. concept. Uh, and trying to find that silence. Uh, but I think silence, good silence, is something that is from heaven. And, and that that God gives us as a gift of being able to sit in silence, a silence that implies peace. Mm -hmm. There's enough peace to sit in the stillness and enjoy the presence of God. Anyways, that's a very long, long rant about... It's a good rant. That's why we have books. this podcast. Fantastic. Well, <laughs> we could really go into a lot of things oh, yeah, I touched could. on. A lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah, it's more podcasts coming. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have one specifically addressing how... Aaron believes in potentially aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's a we thing totally that could. I did not expect to say today. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> that was very low on my expectations list. I hold things like that with an open hand. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. We can... We can move on, though. We can... That's okay. Um, book that changed your perspective. You probably don't have as so much time now. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Um, <laughs> well, we can skip the preamble of take a guess which author wrote it. Ted Decker. You're not wrong. Ha! It was Ted Decker, but it was a non-fictional book. Um, and it was called, uh, he wrote two non-fictional books and I read both of them. Uh, to my knowledge, he might have read more, in which case, please tell me so I can read them as well. Um, but one was called The Slumber of Christianity and one was called Tea with the Hezbollah. Whoa. And Tea with the Hezbollah changed like my perspective on a lot because basically what he said was, well, his friend said, and he was just like, sure, but... Um, what if we went and had tea with the three heads of the Hezbollah? Can you explain Hezbollah? Uh, Hezbollah is an extremist Islamist organization mm -hmm. um, in yeah. the Middle East. Uh, and Very terrifying. Yeah, it's very terrifying. And they have three heads. I learned all this from my book. I didn't know a lot about them before. Mm -hmm. um, but basically they have like a religious head who like 
they talk about strictly about like the pillars of Islam mm-hmm. and stuff like that. They have a military head and they have a government head, a political head. And so Ted Decker somehow got in contact with these guys and said, Hi, I would like to have tea with you and discuss Islam and Jesus. And they sat, they let him. He got thrown in the back of the car with a bag over his head and... Oh my word, my respect for Decker tr- just went in way up. I didn't know that was possible. Oh yeah. He, wow. He did this and then he just sat with them and he's like, and he asked some questions. Like, what do you do for fun? What makes you smile? Like, what's something that makes you smile? Like those questions that I what's asked. What's your favorite movie? What's your favorite movie? Toy Story. Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good movie too. Good movie. Um, but yeah, he just did this and he talked about like their kids. He talked about like, and then like what they thought of Jesus, what they thought of Islam, what they thought of the gospel and just went through and just asked and how he... Wow got to do this is beyond me. I say it's probably just nothing short of a miracle, but he got oh, a chance. Nothing but the grace of Jesus there. He got a chance to go and evangelize to these people, basically, and he got out and wrote a book. <laughs> that's amazing. And honestly, from what I know of Muslims, that's probably the best approach. It's like, hey, yeah. I would like to have tea with you and talk about this. Yeah. Like, they would respond so well to that. Like, that is yeah. such a part of Muslim culture mm-hmm. of, like, being just... Sit down and have tea and discuss and debate. They love that. Mm -hmm. For the most part, that's a generalization, but that's pretty consistent. It was such a good book. That's incredible. It changed my perspective. You should. I'll write it down later. Put it it on my long, long, growing, ever growing list of books that I need to read. I haven't found, my friend lent it to me and I haven't seen it since. I've been trying to buy it for myself and I can't. Mm. So if anybody finds it, let me know. I'll buy it honestly like I love it but it changed my perspective because I don't know with all everything in the news it's easy especially in North America to just I found it very easy to not really humanize like people in terrorist organizations and Mm. extremist Islamic organizations and for me it just it made me pray for them Mm. that's how that book ended for me it was a chance for me to pray Mm-hmm. Um, and it very much changed my perspective on eva- even on evangelism and how I interact with people because people in North America are no different. You walk up to them in the street and say, hey, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. Most people don't respond. But in my experience, you say, hi, like, let's be friends. Let's talk about what is you are passionate about mm. and let's do it over a coffee. Most people would be down for that. Yeah, um, yeah. it's... That's just something that I think it was a good lesson for me. Everyone thinks about stuff. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Everybody does. That's also where I got my question of what's something that makes you smile. Because that's my favorite question to ask people is it's just what makes you smile. Because mm-hmm. it makes people smile. And so that's a side note. Yeah. I hope that you're smiling now. Thank you for that. Anyway, that was our talk on books. Wow, we could have just we could just stop it right there. We could. We've talked about great stuff, but we're still going to talk about compassion, we empathy, are. and sympathy. So Pam has a long list mm-hmm. of notes of things she researched last night on a secular perspective yeah. of what is compassion, empathy, and sympathy, mm-hmm. and how do they play in our lives. Yeah. And when she's done, I'm going to respond with some biblical perspective probably with some interjections here and there on both yeah ends. oh for sure absolutely but that's kind of yeah that's the format for the next I'll, 15 yeah. minutes 
For sure. Absolutely. 20 minutes. 20 we'll minutes. push it to that. Let's be honest. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> um, so the preface for this, I'll say, is because Aaron and I have talked about this a lot recently because we found this chart. I think it was from Tumblr or something. I don't, I don't know. know where it was from. Everything on the internet just mingles. We found it on Instagram. We found it on Instagram, but we don't know where it's from. Um, but basically, it was a very simplistic humanist idea, like three sentences breaking down sympathy, empathy, and compassion. And we read it, and we put ourselves on the scale, and we'll explain where we are on the scale. But basically, I found another one that added pity to it. So we're going to start with pity. Pity is the ability to acknowledge your suffering, or, or for me to acknowledge your suffering. Um, I see you suffering, and I can acknowledge it, say, that that's unfortunate, suffering. that's mm-hmm. suffering. Um, sympathy is I care about your suffering. Um, you know, you see someone suffering, and you say, Oh, I'm sorry. I like how I'm like feeling like you need to hug them or something. I don't know. Sympathy. You feel sorry, you for, feel them. sorry for them. Yeah. Um, empathy simple. is I feel your suffering. You can see someone hurting and feel that hurt yourself. And compassion is I want to relieve your suffering. Mm. Um, and so this scale, we didn't necessarily agree with it because it said everyone falls into one of these categories. Aaron's going to say why we don't dis- agree with it in a second. Um, but Aaron is very much a compassion person. She sees anybody in pain and she immediately goes into mom mode. Like 10 out of 10. Someone's crying. She's standing there with a hug and a thing of Kleenex. I want to and do something. She needs to do something yeah. to fix it. That, I'm... Yeah. And it, it hurts me when I can't. Mm-hmm. If, so, I don't know, if, if, if a guy tells me, oh, this is how I'm hurting, in my brain I'm like, I can't hug you. Mm-hmm. And I can't, what can I even, I can't even do some, anything yeah. for you. And that hurts me mm-hmm. in, in that way, you know? Yeah. Like that I want to do something. Mm-hmm. Okay, mom mode, yeah, that's pretty accurate. It's I was going to contest that, but no, I do go into mom you mode. You go into mom mode. And I'm not a physical touch person. I don't love physical touch, but... For the sake of doing something for someone else, I'm always ready with a hug mm-hmm. because it, I, it's something I can do mm-hmm. for someone else. 100%. And that can get really twisted if you, you can. dwell on that. But that, that is where I would naturally fall according to those standards. standards. Um, and then we established that I'm a very high empathy person. High, high empathy person. It's... It, I think it kind of drives Hence Aaron's. why being around a compassion person is very useful for me. Oh, it's, it's so useful because otherwise I think I'd be a constant state of turmoil due to our broken world and everybody being in pain all the time. Yeah. But basically for me, I see anyone in pain and immediately I, I feel it in me. And it can be... It's to the point where I cry in Marvel movies, man. Like... It's just everybody. You'll I cry see, more than the person oh, who's hurting. Yeah. I'll cry more than the person that's hurting. The person that's hurting can be like, yeah, I'm going through a rough time and I'll go to my room and just weep because it just hurts me so much to see mm-hmm. pain. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I fall on the scale. It kind of drives me crazy. I'm not going to lie because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm always sad feeling <laughs> someone else's pain oh wow yeah um but at the same That's time depressing. there's a great amount of hope in it too because it gives like an opportunity to kind of relate and be there for people um especially if it's suffering i feel like my empathy is elevated when it's suffering that i can relate to mm. um whether it be like a death in the family or mental illness or something somebody struggling um, just tacks anything. on to because yeah. it not only brings up pain from your past, but it's tacking on their pain yeah. on top of yours. 
that would that would be probably it amplifies my empathy so much Mm -hmm. and so yeah that's kind of where i'm at any thoughts on no okay so i googled because google is the ultimate resource for anything (laughs) and i didn't even write down where this was from i'm pretty sure it was from like psychology today or something so it's probably not a reliable source in any capacity. <laughs> or source we would recommend at all. <laughs> no, actually. No. <laughs> um, so basically, I looked up what a requirement for pity is, and this is a rough paraphrase of it, but basically I've, I've scratched out the word pity because it applies to all of them. Um, a requirement for any of these feelings is the belief that someone, to some degree, does not deserve the misfortune and suffering they are experiencing. What? Sorry, I didn't mean to actually say anything. I was going to keep it together. Yeah, we didn't tell each other oh. what we found in our research. And so I, I read it and I wrote it down and I laughed because I knew it was, that was the exact response I was going to oh, get. Oh, that hurts my brain. So, and but from a humanist point of view, that makes sense because we don't... Because don't we think, think we're so great. Yes. And so we see someone in pain due to a loss or due to <sighs> sickness or And we think like you that. don't deserve that. Yeah. And that's why... That's the source? That's... That's the source of sympathy and empathy, according to them? No, that's, that's the requirement. That's the requirement? That's oh, something fantastic. Yeah. Not fantastic at all. That was very sarcastic. But, oh, my word. That mm-hmm. that would run out so fast. Yeah. It's, okay, okay. If that's the requirement, that means that once you're friends with someone for long enough, you will no longer meet the standard of feeling sympathy, <laughs> empathy, or compassion for them because you'll know that... People are flawed, and you'll know it's like okay. People are awful. I can, I, if I'm friends with you for long enough, oh, I know where your flaws mm-hmm. are. I can see, oh, you've treated me poorly at some point. Mm-hmm. So that means that to some degree, I probably think you deserve some pain, yeah. and thus I will feel mm-hmm. no pity for you. And that's wrong because people will still feel that regardless. Uh-huh. That is such an uneducated view because then if you if you think someone is perfect, well, obviously they, then it's easy to feel sympathy and empathy. Yeah, I'd say you probably. From my perspective, I feel more empathy or sympathy or compassion for someone when I know how broken they are. Uh-huh. And then to have their pain, it's like, well, now you have your own brokenness to deal with and the pain of whatever you're suffering through. That That's better. That's a better way of mm-hmm. seeing that. Oh, my goodness. I hate that so much. That's such a, a hopeless and lost way to think of caring for someone and to try and care for someone out of that of thinking they don't deserve this because then you'll only surround yourself with people that you think are great it's true and you'll never grow neither of you will grow and even from a christian perspective that eliminates the gospel oh absolutely it completely eliminates the gospel and the idea of like just being broken before the cross and then be it eliminates your ability to show grace because you know the grace you've been given and your brokenness and how you it even and then you can't show that grace to anyone else. It's so postmodern it hurts. It, yeah. It's from an idea of I think I'm great. I think mm-hmm. I'm I think It's like yeah, I've got my flaws, but I'm basically good. Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. my word. That, the the other mm. thing that I found and then I'll let you talk. <laughs> um, yep, yep. <laughs> is a uh, definition from Wikipedia, so actually not as reliable either. But hey, we're, we're learning more about Wiki. Yes. Wiki's not that bad. Okay, it's not that bad. <laughs> Don't write use it for a source in your paper, but you know, it's it's a good starting point. But and I liked, um, well, I didn't love this definition, but 
I looked up why sympathy is necessary in the human brain. Okay. And I was hoping to get like some psychological argument or something like that. I'm a bit of a psych nerd. But I got this definition instead and I settled for Wikipedia because it was 1.30 in the morning. Um, and it was, sympathy acts as a way to provide understanding regarding another person's experiences or situation, good or bad, with a focus on their individual well-being. We can address that. Um, it is often easier to make a decision based on emotional information because humans, because all humans have a general understanding of emotion. So basically, sympathy makes it easier to make emotional decisions. I think is so. What sympathy it, is an emotion. Yes, yeah, sympathy is an emotion. Basically, um, it helps you understand emotions, mm. and so then you can emotional reason through the emotions. And respond. And respond according, which that leads into, should you respond on your emotions? I'm a very emotionally driven person, and you're a very thinking-driven person. Yeah. So I think if we responded according to my emotions... Oh, we would be in a This world hot mess. would be a disaster. Something would be on fire. Yeah. And it would emotions be, are so fickle. Yes. Um, so, yeah, some of my thoughts on that were just like, it, sympathy acts as a way... To provide understanding. And I think that's pretty accurate. Like, you, humans are very relational. And we want to relate to people. Mm -hmm. We want to be, I think a lot of people I know, Christian or not, do, because we reflect God, um, we reflect his glory, we see suffering in the world and we want to come alongside that person and give them hope. Mm. Um, we want to share the gospel with mm -hmm. them as christians we want to share hope that's and it's a beautiful thing i just think that um this is just such a shallow such a feel-good idea of it where it's just like that's just to make me feel good yeah it's like the only reason why you would respond with sympathy or empathy or compassion is to make someone else feel better about themselves yeah and then even just According to grow, to that definition. and even just in an even more shallow way, just to grow in your understanding, which is mm. such a humanist idea. Um, and a how does this benefit me to this, help you? Yeah, it's, it provides ugh. greater understanding to me instead of thinking about how does this grow someone and how does this, how can I build someone else with this? Yeah. Can we talk about Jesus now? Yes, absolutely. Okay, good. Karen, you're killing me. My response. All right, we're going to start with sympathy. And we're going to go right to the Bible and find, uh, obviously, sympathy and empathy are not mentioned in the Bible, but I did look for examples of sympathy. I mean, kind of we're springing off of the humanist definition. They do have uh, some semblance of truth in it. But um, I'm going to go first to John 20. It's 11 to 18. Sympathy and empathy are going to be real short, but we're going to spend a long time in compassion. Um, so this, John chapter 20, uh, Jesus has just been raised from the dead. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The tomb is empty. And there is Mary Magdalene standing outside of the tomb. John and Peter have left. They went to tell the others. And she's weeping. And then there's this man there who says, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And she thought it was the gardener. It was pretty logical. And uh, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. 
And she turned around and said to him in Aram- Aramaic, uh, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I am, have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, and to my God and to your God. Mm-hmm. And then Mary went and announced to the disciples. So I picked that because every time I read that, I not only get chills because it's just so beautiful. I... I use my imagination a bit in this in this passage, and I hope no one thinks that that means I'm reading into the text. I I'm trusting that the Spirit is is rings true to this. The way that Jesus says Mary, I'm sure, was one that was full of sympathy. Mm-hmm. He's watching her cry over himself, like mm-hmm. not only like how like Jesus was fully man. He had emotions. Mm-hmm. He and. He would have seen that and thought, oh, my child. 100%. Just give it, and just like, but imagine, you know, when you have a great surprise for someone Mm -hmm. and you're just like, you cannot wait to tell them about this wonderful surprise, this gift you've got Mm -hmm. them. Like, how exciting is it to give someone something that you know they'll love? He's standing there seeing, she doesn't recognize me, Mary. And, and, And the way he said it, she knew who it was. And considering Mary's story, like, from total like, depravity and sin and, like, so lost and broken. Her entire picture with Jesus is sympathy. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, my word. He loves her so much, mm-hmm. right? And she knew, she knew that. She knew how much yeah. he loved her as a child of God. Like, so there was something, the way he said Mary, that had to spark, that is Jesus. She had to know, that's my Lord, just from one word, from her name. The way he says her name had to be full of sympathy. I think that's a beautiful picture. And it does highlight, or you have to address her story, her story of brokenness. Yeah, I, I was going to that. say that like comes back to her brokenness and just it completely counteracts this idea of sympathy because yeah. they are broken. Mary was so broken that nobody could talk to her, basically. Mm-hmm. No one could comfort her or console her yeah. at that moment. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to go to empathy. Ooh. So... John chapter 11, we're going back in Jesus' story. This is at the death of Lazarus. And just so you know, for research, I just looked up the word weeping because I knew Mm -hmm. that would help me find something than trying to look up in the Bible the word empathy. So John 11, 35, easiest book or easiest verse in the Bible to memorize. Mm -hmm. Jesus, oh, 36. Shoot, (laughs) which one is it? (laughs) Apparently it's not. 35, I was right the first time. Jesus wept. Mm -hmm. And that alone... I mean, that doesn't really tell you much, but he's at the the tomb of a friend. He has just talked to Mary and Martha, his sisters, or like uh, Lazarus' sisters. And he was also, he was deeply moved. It says in verse 33, he's deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then he says, where have you mm-hmm. laid them, laid him? And, uh, and they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So... Yes, that's it's, it is his own pain, but I think the fact that it prefaces that he talked first to Mary and Martha, the sisters of the dead man, who he was friends with as well, I think shows his empathy of feeling for someone. And he was deeply moved in his spirit. Yeah. And I, I love seeing that, that humanity of Jesus. Like, of course, he is fully God and fully man. But I do, I appreciate that he can sympathize and empathize with us. I think also, like, if you look at it, he's God. He knows how this is going to end. He still is moved to tears just seeing the pain and feeling mm. that pain of his one of his closest friends 
dying. Like, it's such a picture of empathy because he knows hope. Like, he's still able to mourn and grieve. Mm -hmm. Even though, like, he knows the gospel, he knows the picture of hope that we have in him, in God's love and sovereignty, yet he's still able to weep and just genuinely feel the pain of these girls just lost their brother. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he had lost his friend. It's good. It's good. I don't know how I didn't think of it last night, but uh, I think it's in Hebrew somewhere. <laughs> the verse that's, uh, we do not have a high priest mm -hmm. who's unable to sympathize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like he, it's because he became man and because he was so humbled, because he suffered and died, he is able to sympathize and able to, to understand our troubles. Mm -hmm. And so we can go to him, our mediator, who speaks to the father on our behalf. And we can say, Lord, like, this is what's troubling me. And if we, I mean, I, I find, I, I hope this is out of humility. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But when, when I pray, I often, I'm like, Jesus, I know this is dumb. Like, mm -hmm. honestly, like I, I've prayed that many times. I just, <laughs> Jesus, I know that this is just a trite thing. This mm -hmm. is something so small in terms mm -hmm. of the kingdom. This is so small in terms of like, oh, the glorious hope that awaits me when I come home. But right now it bothers me. And I and that's often my attitude is like, right now this hurts. And I don't like it. <laughs> and that's often how my attitude is in prayer. And I know that he can be like, yeah, it does hurt. Mm -hmm. But I'm sorry. And like that, that, that is our high priest. Amen. Amen. So good. Compassion. Here we go. This is what I'm excited about. Because this will play right into that. See, I don't think that we should divide pity, sympathy, empathy, and compassion because I don't think the scriptures do. Mm -hmm. I think the scriptures pretty much sum up those things in compassion. And compassion is supposed to be a whole lot bigger than what whatever secular humanist wrote that list that we had talked about. Um, a couple of examples first of the word compassion being used. It's usually translated as compassion in NIV. I have an ESV, so I will be saying gracious mm -hmm. a lot more and merciful because that's the tones, like there's mm -hmm. so many more overtones to compassion because it is a characteristic of God that he has declared about himself. So second Kings 13 verse 23, it says, but the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them. And he turned toward them because of his covenant covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and would not destroy them, nor has he cast them from his presence until now. Little context. Second Kings is a flipping disaster of a book mm -hmm. because of Israel's apostasy they are constantly straying. And this is with Jehoahaz. And like the Lord gives them a savior over and over. This is right after the death of Elisha. Mm -hmm. So they've just lost like one of their greatest prophets. Yeah. Uh, and probably no greater prophet until Jesus mm -hmm. for this with Elisha. Absolutely love Elisha. We should have a podcast on Elisha later. Anyways, Israel's a disaster. And the Lord, for the sake of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he turned and was gracious and had compassion mm -hmm. on them. They're his children. They're mm -hmm. still his people as much. But so that's associating with their brokenness. Mm -hmm. Just saying that. Psalm 103, verse 13. Give me, give me moments. I should have bookmarked these. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. In verse 8 earlier, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast mm -hmm. love. We're going to kind of reiterate that in a second here in Psalm 86, verse 15. Uh, I could just say because I've memorized it, but I'm going to read it uh, in the ESV. But you, O Lord, 
are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In the NIV, it'll say the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Some really great songs written Mm -hmm. for that. Uh, Again, it's, it's still associated with the brokenness. I, I, I think it's interesting. The slow to anger is often tied, like it's used in those words with compassion because that's an important thing of like, he's compassionate. Is he compassionate because he's slow to anger or is he slow to anger because he's compassionate? Yes. <laughs> uh, and now we're going to jump again to Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 and 7. That's the hold music. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. That verse wasn't actually necessary for compassion, but it's just so epic. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood there and stood with him there. This is uh, Moses talking. It's the new tablets after the calf God. So coming out of calf God, right? So Israel's first and greatest apostasy. It's just like, guys, you idiots. fools. You fools. I mean, we're, we're no better. Yeah, no. But, um, so it's coming out of that. Moses is going back up to get new tablets from God. And here's what the Lord's, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord is proclaiming this about himself. The Lord, the Lord, it's all in capitals because he's using his personal name, Yahweh, Yahweh. I am that I am. He is who he is, who was and is and is to come, the Alpha and Omega declaring so much about himself and just using his personal name with Moses. How great is that? So intimate. It's beautiful. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Gee, I wonder where David got it from in the Psalms. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means... By no means, book of Romans, here we go, by no means. Clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Mm-hmm. What a teeny little snippet. Mm-hmm. But immediately again, there's the brokenness right there at the end of the passage, the iniquity to the third and fourth generation. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for us to associate God's compassion with his justice. And I think... A better source for having, for our compassion and empathy is seeing that there is a need for justice to be done. It's not me looking at you and saying, you don't deserve this pain. It's me looking and saying, that was an injustice done to you Mm -hmm. because we live in a broken world and where it can get dangerous is if we think, oh, I could bring this justice into my own hands and that be a source for compassion or that you will... Burnout so miserably. fast, you will fail miserably. You will never be able to execute justice the way you ought. But, but from a Christian perspective, mm-hmm. if we can learn more and more, study the scriptures and look through, this is what God's justice looks like, mm-hmm. then we can be, com- anyone then can be sympathetic, empathic, empathetic, and compassionate mm-hmm. because we can look and see the Lord is the one who will execute justice he sees our brokenness. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us. Amen. He, is, he will execute justice in the end. And that is the comfort that we can give to someone. That's something you can do. That's something you can feel in your heart. And that's something you can understand. Mm-hmm. All three levels that we have talked about here, sympathy, empathy, and compassion, can be summed up in encouraging someone with that hope of, you know what, I'm so sorry 
that that happened. Mm -hmm. That was an injustice because we're in a broken world. You don't say you don't deserve it. Honestly, it'd be more accurate to say you do deserve injustice. You deserve to burn in hell for all of eternity. But when Christ appeared, he was a high priest who's able to mediate on our behalf and who sits at the right hand of God Mm -hmm. and speaks to him and understands the brokenness Mm -hmm. and the the complete and utter depravity of this world. Mm -hmm. And he he looks on us with, with sympathy and he does something about it. Amen. That was a lot. Wow. And so a quote from Matthew Henry, he was talking about that Exodus passage that I read. He wrote, our poverty and wretchedness when felt powerfully, I can't read my own, pled on our behalf at the throne of grace. The best self-preservation is to commit ourselves to God's keeping. Amen. And I was scared that this was going to be like a heartbreaking episode. We're talking a lot no. about pain and suffering, but I'm so encouraged now. <laughs> uh. Oh man, I whoo. <laughs> I feel very very good about that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so if you're like me and you think, oh man, I want to do something for people, but sometimes I can't, and it hurts. The best thing you can do is preach the gospel and pray for them. I used to think that praying for someone wasn't doing enough. Mm -hmm. Saying like being able to, when the only thing I can say is I'll pray for you. And when there's nothing else I can do about that situation, about that injustice, that hurts. Mm -hmm. I want to do something. But I've come to realize this year, especially I've learned a lot about it, that praying for someone is doing the most. Like that's the most thing I can do. The best thing I can Mm -hmm. do is to pray for them and pray that the Lord would be at work in their heart. Amen. Mm. Oh. <laughs> love that so we hope that you've enjoyed this episode of it's not an allegory we didn't really get to any allegory stuff today yeah. i feel like that post could have been a picture of an allegory and a bad allegory a bad allegory it's a bad allegory don't look life. at psychology stuff for compassion and empathy and no. sympathy. look to jesus amen mm-hmm. founder and perfecter of our faith right mm-hmm. yeah compassion mm-hmm. is so much more than our world thinks it is amen Aaron has decided to, that we need to have a segment at, in, in our podcast where she asks a random question, knowing full well full what well Pam's reaction will be. I probably hate said random question. So I'm so sorry to kill the mood, but I'm also not sorry. So here we go. As we close on It's Not an Allegory, we hope you've been encouraged. We hope you've been mm-hmm. exhorted and that you can listen to this and think yes god is good yep amen so pam why is it called a goldfish if it is neither gold nor fish <sighs> the look of disdain is glorious we will catch you next time on it's not an allegory next time we will be talking about why we love theology that'll be a nice short podcast Absolutely not. (laughs) Have a great morning and enjoy your coffee.